What is up, Bitcoiners? It is CK. I am recording here in the BTC studios in Nashville this week. Hope my voice is coming in nice and clear on this sexy equipment. I'm here as always with Ansel Linder, and we have an absolutely fantastic and exciting show for you guys. Ansel, why don't you give the listeners a quick sneak peek about what they have in store? Yeah, so the uh, two kind of news items from the IMF uh, this week, I think it's a bombshell. So we're, we go through that, uh, walk the listeners through that, and I think we have some really good learning points in here. All right, guys, before we get into the specific content, um, let's talk about how this show is possible. First is Paxful. You guys have heard about Paxful multiple times on FedWatch, but it is one of the leading P2P exchanges and marketplaces for Bitcoin out there. They offer every single kind of trading pair you can imagine, and they're working extremely hard to hook into every single fiat banking system there is. As far as I'm concerned, Paxful is one of the most important companies in Bitcoin because they give Bitcoin liquidity and they allow Bitcoin to dominate in the fringe markets where Bitcoin is emerging as a dominant asset and a dominant a dominant currency. So if you guys want to learn more about Paxful, if you want to be a part of the P2P economy, whether you're trading gift cards or selling Bitcoin with a, with a nice margin, there's a lot of ways to make money with your Bitcoin in the P2P economy on Paxful. Go to Paxful.com backslash podcast so they know we sent you there. Next, let's talk about Bitcoin Black Friday. Bitcoin Black Friday is the premier circular economy celebration that Bitcoin Magazine is hosting this year. BitcoinBlackFriday.com. We already have, I think, over 100 different retailers that are selling goods for a discount for Bitcoin, but that's not it. You can actually go on to BitcoinBlackFriday.com and donate to nonprofits with Bitcoin, and you can also earn Bitcoin by doing tasks. So Bitcoin Black Friday, it's not just about spending Bitcoin. It's about the complete Bitcoin circular economy. No matter what you feel about Bitcoin as an investment, no matter how much you want to hodl it, Bitcoin is a tool and people need that tool for money sometimes. People need that tool to exchange goods. And when people start earning Bitcoin and being a part of the Bitcoin circular economy, it improves the Bitcoin space for all of us. So go check out BitcoinBlackFriday.com. We're looking for merchants. We're looking for uh, nonprofit partners. And of course, we're looking for people to uh, support the ecosystem. Enough of me. Let's get right into the show First and foremost, you tease this a little bit, but we have an IMF bombshell, something that we've been talking about on this show. Ansel's probably been talking about it first. Uh, there was some statements made, you know, calling for a Bretton Woods 2.0. Ansel, why don't you get into, you know, this thing that you've been really forecasting for a long time and what does it mean? Or later last week, the IMF released a video and in that video, it was the managing director in Washington, D.C. that said, this is their Bretton Woods moment or a new Bretton Woods moment. And we've been saying this for months and months. I've been saying it for almost a year, I think, that we should expect a new Bretton Woods moment. And it's just crazy that they are now using the same language. So for people who haven't been listening to every episode of Fed Watch, what does a Bretton Woods moment mean? And why is this such a change of pace? Well, Bretton Woods was a meeting in what, 1944, where, you know, all the, or 1945, I can't remember now, um, all the 
parties after World War II got together and decided to peg to the dollar, and then the dollar would peg to gold. So it was to create this new monetary system in the wake of this destruction of World War II, because the U.S. was pretty much the last economy standing at that point. Um, and now they're calling for a new Bretton Woods moment. And the reason why I said that this is probably going to happen is, yeah, the system is breaking down. It doesn't work. And they're going to have to come together um, to create a new system because how we kind of see the piecemeal, okay, China's doing this, Brazil's doing this, the UK is doing this. Uh, the federal reserve is um, doing some studies on CBDCs or whatever. Uh, it's so piecemeal. They need to come together in a Bretton Woods type scenario and form a new monetary system. So. Uh, well, is this yeah. just talk? What's that? You know, is this just talk? Can they come together and come to consensus around a new system? Oh yeah. This was just rhetoric. 100%. She laid out uh, three imperatives. So her three planks to this new Bretton Woods uh, kind of agreement. And that is prudent macroeconomic policies and strong institutions. So real hardcore central planning. Let's just crank up that central planning. And I think that'll work. Number two was people first. And of course it went through a litany of, how you put people first, but that's really just a nebulous concept. Uh, I, I would expect more from like experts in the field, but no, they just, it's just people first. And lastly was climate change. And for me, that's not a economic problem. That's like a government problem. If it was an economic problem, then the market would figure it out really fast and they wouldn't need inept IMF economists to tell them, you know, how to, how to fix the climate, they would be able to do it on their own. Well, you know, what stands out to me is that Bitcoin solves all of these as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. Prudent macroeconomic policy and strong institutions. Bitcoin is unbendable. Uh, 21 million is non-negotiable. People first, s strong store of value, a proper SOV sound money is the most people first thing. It's the money of the people. Uh, you had to earn every every Satoshi. And then lastly, climate change aspect. We've talked at nauseum about how Bitcoin mining really aligns incentives around energy production, utilization, storage, transferring, um, even just infrastructure buildup. Uh, so, I mean, guys, Bitcoin has mass appeal. The masses just don't know it yet. And these central planners can try to build something uh, to oppose Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is just being built, you know, while they're talking. Yeah, I put the uh, links in the show notes down below. I also put a hypothesis link. And if you guys haven't ever tried this, it's a uh, browser extension where you can comment on these posts. And if you have the browser ex extension and you uh, surf to a webpage that somebody has made comments on, like highlight and made comments, then you can read those comments. So it's pretty neat. I'll put that down in the show notes. Um, one glaring thing that they didn't even mention in the whole speech was the SDR. And, you know, that's the IMF currency. That's why they're so important. And it wasn't even mentioned at all, not even in passing. Um, also, China wasn't mentioned. And that lack of China will come up again in our next story on the IMF panel. Uh, I mean, China's a huge part of the IMF. They're part of the SDR. And there was no talk about China, exchange rate regime, or anything. It was just total... Uh, feel-good platitudes. That's all that came out of this speech. So why do you think that China should have been a subject, right? Were they talking about other countries specifically, or is it 
Um, you know, why, why do you think that China should have been something that was brought up? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, they, they didn't necessarily name in particular countries. They did name, like, break it down between emerging markets and developed economies and the poorer countries versus the more wealthy countries, et cetera. Um, so I don't know if there would have been a place to insert China, but I do think that the SDR should have been in there and they should have talked about exchange rate. And they, I mean, that's their whole thing. And they didn't even mention it. Yeah, maybe just no one cares. But uh, it is interesting <laughs> that they're bringing up Bretton Woods moment. Um, what do you think it would take to actually seriously have a Bretton Woods conversation? Oh, geez, rock bottom of some sort. Um, I don't, I don't think there will be, there won't be a global Bretton Woods again. I don't think that's possible. I don't think that the U.S. would sit down with China. So I, I think it's pretty moot from, from the get-go. Interesting. Good for Bitcoin or it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter. Bitcoin will keep going and changing hearts and minds, making people's lives better. All right. Here, here to that. All right. What's next, Ansel? Uh, this IMF panel. So this was this video about their – uh, Bretton Woods moment was leading up to this IMF panel and Chairman Powell was on it. And that's why it was such a big deal. They talked about cross-border payments and CBDCs. And people that have listened to this show, they know that we talk almost ad nauseum about the CBDCs because that is one of the two big narratives in Bitcoin, at least for this year, probably for the next few years. So you're going to have, like this year, the narratives have been Bitcoin on balance sheets and CBDCs. I think those are the two big narratives of this year. And, and Tether. Um, and Tether. Yeah, you can add Tether in there. Uh, probably with CBDCs. That, uh, it's, it's kind of a subtopic of that. But uh, yeah, so this was a really interesting panel. There was a person from Saudi Arabia Central Bank who also is like the rotating chair of the G20 at this time. Um, Augustin Karsten, he's the general manager at the Bank of International Settlements. You probably would know him if you see him. Uh, Jerome Powell. And then this uh, Eunice, she's a governor of the Central Bank of Malaysia. So it was a pretty diverse panel. But of course, Powell was the star of the show. And no China. And no China. On a CBDC panel. Can you believe it? They're the only ones. And they, they were mentioned in the conversation. And no China. Why? They're China recently airdropped, um, yeah. you know, central bank tokens uh, onto like what a specific region. Yeah, I believe it was four cities or something like that near the coast. Uh, they picked and they airdropped a what was it? It was something like ten million yuan, so right around I don't know three or four million dollars to different people, uh, just to, to kind of test it out. I think there this is like phase two testing. Yeah, so I know we want to play a couple of clips from these panels, so I'm going to cue them right here. We have had an injection of momentum in this uh, debate. Uh, to what extent you think that the announcement of the Libra in June 2019 has pushed us to move faster in this area? Jay. Thank you. Uh, so... Good morning from Washington to my uh, international colleagues, and uh, thank you very much, Kristalina, for bringing us together today. And I, I'd like to start by saying, right, uh, that we are 
committed to carefully and thoughtfully evaluating the potential costs and benefits of a central bank digital currency for the U.S. economy and payment system, as well as for its international implications. We've been actively participating with other central banks and the BIS in that work, and we feel that that collaboration has been very productive. We have not made a decision to issue a, a CBDC, and we think that there's a great deal of work yet to be done, as well as extensive public consultation to be had with all stakeholders before making such a decision. The dollar is the world's principal reserve currency, as you pointed out, and I assure you that we will be approaching this question with great care. That said, something like 80% of central banks around the world are exploring the idea of issuing currency in digital form. The opportunities and, and risks presented by a CBDC will differ by country and by jurisdiction, and the decision whether to issue a CBDC will be made by each individual country. So there, there are several reasons why a central bank might, might want to do so. For example, uh, there are a number of ways that a CBDC might improve the payment system, and it is mainly this area that motivates our interest. These include basic issues such as faster and cheaper transactions and more complex issues from addressing a decline in the use of physical currency to modernizing payments infrastructure to reaching consumers that have traditionally been underserved by financial institutions. Other potential motivations are more macroeconomic in nature. Each jurisdiction will need to think carefully what its, what its principal motivations may be. And for the Federal Reserve, as I mentioned, our main focus is on whether, whether and how a CBDC could improve an already safe, effective, dynamic, and efficient domestic payment system. Unlike some jurisdictions, here in the United States, we continue to see strong demand for cash. Moreover, we have robust and mature financial and banking sectors, and we have a highly banked population so that many, although not all, already have access to the electronic payments system. Our payment system is evolving quickly as technology advances, for example, with the introduction of instant or fast payments, both private and public, including the, the FedNow service. We think it's important that any potential, potential uh, CBDC would serve as a complement to and not a replacement for cash and current private sector digital forms of the dollar, such as commercial bank money. Uh, you ask about Libra, and, and I agree that it, it highlighted the need to improve cross-border payments and generally succeeded in focusing attention on payments-related issues, including consumer protection, cybersecurity, and privacy. So it's, it's probably too early to say how much Libra will ultimately shape the payment system. I do think it has caused regulators to think carefully about the appropriate risk management and compliance expectations for emerging innovations. So this clip was really interesting to me, and the principal thing that he's talking about is improving payments. And that would make sense why maybe the U.S. is being slow to it, because like like he said multiple times is uh, our payments infrastructure is pretty, you know, top notch, and we're pretty banked, and doing something like this might disrupt what's already going on. So I can understand why... You know, the Fed is, you know, not in a rush to come out with a CBDC. But one thing that's really interesting is he's not talking about store of value. He's not talking about disrupting the dollar. And um, he's not talking about distributing money, really. Like he did mention, like, banking the unbanked and uh, faster, cheaper payments, new types of uh, cash. But, I mean, 
you know, I feel like China is trying to experiment with cash distribution methods and getting money to people and stuff like that. And he's not talking about that. So it seems like the U.S. is like pretty slow in this debate, at least from this introduction. Yeah. um, Well, in the next clip, he does talk about cash a little bit more like the form of money and central bank liabilities and, and things like that. Uh, so he does touch on that later, which I, uh, we'll watch that clip. I think that's the only other good one out of those that I provided you. But um, my big thing is he kind of dashed the hopes of some of these emerging market people because they're all surging forward with their CBDCs. They all think like this Saudi Arabia, they're funding like five or six different uh, blockchain hubs and cryptocurrency hubs and CBDC uh, initiatives. And they're, but the fed is like, we're not taking part. And they know for a fact that nothing that does or anything that doesn't have the dollar is going to ultimately fail. And the dollar has tether and the dollar has all the stable coins, right? There are stable coins like in the Euro and stuff, but they're minuscule compared to the dollar ones. And so I think he dashed a lot of hopes and dreams with that statement. Uh, that the dollar was going to, or the Fed was going to take everyone under their loving wing and guide them to a CBDC, which is not at all what they're doing. Based on like just that, I don't even really understand what a CBDC is, right? Like, is it just everyone has a direct account with the Fed? Like, is that essentially what any CBDC is? Um, And then how closed off is that system? So like, you know, it, it, more or less, it's kind of like a buzzword. This is equivalent mm-hmm. to blockchain in 2016, 2017. Like, this is just the new blockchain word. Yeah. Well, there is, I think, a fundamental thing that would be a CBDC. And to me, it is, it's a form of, uh, or it's an asset of the central bank, just like dollars are. But it's uh, kind of routes around the banking system. So you see the stuff with Fed now, um, you know, there's things being launched where you can just interact with the central bank right on your app, on your phone in some countries, and it's cutting out the banking system. So it's, it's a, when you think of the federal reserve and you think of money and you think of the banking system today, like the banks run the show yeah. and this, this whole CBDC thing is kind of turning that on its head and saying the banks don't have a role anymore. I, I'm really, uh, I don't understand how they think that there's going to be loans because in the system today, you know, a business will go to the bank and they'll get a business loan. And that's when you create money in, in the system today. But with the CBDC, like how do you, is the individual bank going to be able to issue CBDC tokens or do they have to include the central bank in that loop and the central bank is the actual issuer and somehow is within all of these loans or, you know, how does that work? How are they issued? What, I mean, there's just so many questions here. I don't think it will work. I think it's, it's too radical at this time for them to change and they'll probably figure that out. I, I bet Powell is being very, like you said that he's, he's kind of a straight shooter and I believe that. And I'm actually getting a little more sympathetic to him the more I watch him because uh, he's very level-headed. Yeah, maybe he's not the most honest person because he could just come out and say this is all a sham. But, uh, you know, 
like this. He's taking a measured approach and they're looking at it. They're investigating it where all these other countries are, oh, it's going to be so great. There's so many efficiencies. We can't, we're racing to be the first to launch. So that's, I see as a, a big difference. Yeah, but all of those countries have a lot less to lose, right? So he's kind of manning the the central or the the global reserve currency. And I mean, I would, I just, I can't get over the fact that I'm I'm pretty sure that USDC and Tether and all of these things are essentially Fed coin. Um, like I, I really do think like that is the dollar interop, like using free market systems to interop with the open source cryptocurrency ecosystem. Um, so like, I don't like, that's way more advanced than any CBDC. And if they can push the buttons and freeze accounts whenever they want, I mean, they're already there, like they're playing ball. So the dollar is advancing as far as I'm concerned. Like I, I don't really even get CBDCs, but I mean, let's, let's hit this next clip. Cause, uh, there, there's more from, uh, from this panel. I realized the future has arrived. And uh, Jay, you helped me realize that very much in uh, in the summer, you said uh, the following, that you do not want to wake up one day and realize that the dollar is no longer a world reserve, reserve currency because we just missed a technological uh, change. Uh, I have full confidence this is not going to happen with you at the helm. Uh, but can you can you unpack a little bit this uh, this thought? Um, do you see a first mover advantage uh, in introducing CBDC? Uh, do you think that technology might put us in a difficult place by by changing the options in front of us? How do you think in the fact about uh, this? technology being already present and pressing uh, on this issue. Thank you. So the, the sense of that comment was really that I feel that we have an obligation to stay on the forefront of policy and technological innovation and developments as regards payments, cross-border payments, CBDC, all of those things, rather than that I felt anything needed to happen quickly or imminently. In fact, I, I actually do think this is one of those issues where it's more important for the United States to get it right than it is to be first. Um, given the dollar's important role globally, it's essential that we remain on the frontier of research and policy development. The dollar is the world's principal reserve currency, and there continues to be large uh, global demand for Federal Reserve notes. There's about $2 trillion worth of Federal Reserve notes in circulation, and we estimate that somewhere close to half of that value in notes is held outside of the United States. <clears throat> Use of and trust in the dollar from, uh, comes from the reliable rule of law, strong and transparent institutions, deep financial markets, and an open capital account. A healthy and efficient payment system demands these features which reach far beyond the merely technological. So we do think it's more important to get it right than to be the first. And getting it right means that we not only look at the potential benefits of a C CBDC, but also the potential risks and, and also recognize the important trade-offs that have to be thought, thought through carefully. We have a responsibility both to the U.S. and to the world that any steps taken for a U.S. Cent uh, digital currency be taken safely. We're absolutely committed to the soundness of the dollar and to safe and efficient U.S. dollar payment system. So in addition to assessing the benefits, and, and there may well be benefits, there are also some quite difficult uh, policy and operational questions that need to be thoroughly Evaluate. And just to mention a few, I, I would mention um, the need to uh, 
protect a CBDC from cyber attacks, counterfeiting, and fraud, the question of how a CD, CBDC would affect monetary policy and financial stability, um, and also how could a CBDC prevent illicit activity while also preserving user privacy and security. Assuming that those things can be resolved, yes, there are potential benefits, but it's no that's, – that's going to take a lot of work and thought, we believe. Okay, so I want to give a disclaimer because I, I think my previous comments might have been taken the wrong way. I don't, I'm not saying that I like the Federal Reserve now. I'm saying that I think that out of all of these parties involved, they have the most level head at this point. Of course, they're in a dinosaur system that's going to go away. But uh, anyway, about his comments right there, I mean, he's talking about trade-offs. He's talking about safety. He's talking about privacy. It's just all really level-headed things, in my opinion. And uh, I, that's not what these emerging markets people want to hear. I guarantee you. They, they want uh, to piggyback on the dollar. They don't want to do their own CBDC. I guarantee you Malaysia does not want to do their own CBDC. They'd rather be in interoperable and hooked in with a larger uh, international solution. Isn't that what the open source environment is offering them? Like yes. I, did an I did an interview with uh, the folks at value and that's a Colombian based remittance company uh, that's, you know, there to, serve the Venezuelan diaspora. So diaspora is immigrants that are sending money back to their home country. So the Venezuelan diaspora at this point is probably the biggest in the world because it, there's a mass exodus out of Venezuela. Um, so what value does is they're just creating a synthetic dollar or they're doing fiat to fiat, but they're using Bitcoin as the middleware, right? So there's no reason why any of these countries can't plug into the existing open source system and create their own synthetic system that's backed by Bitcoin or even backed by some other digital asset, right? Um, th there's plenty out there for them to uh, mess around with depending on their risk tolerance. Uh, so maybe that sounds crazy today, but let's fast forward five years, like, that that option might start uh, becoming a real option, especially if uh, the U.S. continues to, uh, you know, act like they're being slow. One hundred percent. I agree with that. Uh, Bitcoin is going to be seen as a reserve. They will be able to do their CBDC. It'll be protected because they have a reserve of Bitcoin. Just like in the old days, you backed your currency with a reserve of gold. And so it had... Uh, you know, protection against short sellers or protection against currency fluctuations because you actually had that backing. Well, same with Bitcoin and these emerging markets are going to figure that out. Yes. If they're abandoned by the dollar and the dollar system just stagnates, like I think it will, um, they're going to look for better solutions. Do we want, do we want to hit another clip? Uh, I think that's good. We can just, uh, the people can go watch it if they want to. It's a uh, eye opening in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the amazing thing is like, guys, there's lots of cons to the internet, but one of the pros is that we just get unprecedented access to these conversations, unprecedented access into um, all of this stuff. And we can learn about it like never before. So, you know, this is an opportunity to get ahead. All the info is out there. Right. And, and watch it in good faith. So like when you 
are watching these clips don't think they're just lying to you constantly. I mean, yes, they are being a little bit political and diplomatic on what they say, but watch it in good faith. They're, I believe they're, they're uh, pretty honest. So next is some more Bitcoin, right? Do we want to talk about, you know, all this craziness that's been happening the last month or so and Bitcoin is here uh, rubbing up against 12K? Yeah, I'd like to hear what you had to say about um, the hash rate, the price and all that stuff going on in regards to the election. It's pretty incredible that despite all the uncertainty that Bitcoin just does not give at all. Essentially, right now it's at all time highs just with like, you know, all other assets effectively, or at least all other, you know, big stock ETFs and indices. Everything is at all time highs. Everything is kind of reacting the same. And Bitcoin is is also doing that. Um, on top of that, like, it's just the narrative has never been more mainstream, that the correct narrative has never been more mainstream. Um, and the the amount of advocating and just daily talk has is really at a, as a peak. And I just think that this is the beginning. Like it's about to really start picking up steam and steamrolling. So honestly, I don't think the election matters for Bitcoin. I think that either way they're going to print both sides are, are have the same incentives and, you know, scarce assets are going to go up and Bitcoin is the most scarce asset and more people are waking up to that. Bitcoin is uncorrelated. I've been saying that for a long time, but I do think if there is a pretty major sell-off in say the stock market or something, Bitcoin will be affected, but not nearly as much as it was back in March. So I'm always watching for that. I'm kind of expecting something around in the buildup to the, the U S elections. If you know, as uncertainty takes hold, then uh, there could be a sell-off in the markets and Bitcoin will be affected by that. Yeah. I mean, what outcome do you think would result in a sell-off? Well, I think just mainly it's the buildup. It's almost like a buy the news event where the, you know, uh, people are scared. There's going to be rioting or there's going to be a lot of uncertainty about the results uh, in general, because, you know, whether they're going to be accepted by both parties, uh, what, what's all the deal with the mail-in ballots and the co- counting of the votes, but once election day comes and goes, I think a lot of those uh, kind of uncertainties will go away and the market will recover. You just think the election's going to be a shit show and that's going to yes. affect everything kind of negatively. As soon as things clear up, back to you know you, uh, QE and everything continuing to do what it's been doing. Yeah, and maybe after the election we get a you know, bailout packet or what is it, a stimulus check because that's kind of on hold now. So a lot of, a few things are building up to the election. And I, so I think the price could prices of all assets, except maybe the dollar will go down. And then after the election is worked out, then everything will rally again. That's an interesting theory. We'll, we'll have to, to wait and see overall. Again, I'm just so optimistic on Bitcoin and uh, just seeing, you know, mining hit all time highs, like, I don't know. It just seems like green pastures are ahead and uh, and the meme, the memes are truly working. So people are being educated. People are starting to understand what this thing means in the world. And I was watching Michael Saylor and I'm, I really appreciate his entrance into the, the Bitcoin education sphere. But 
um, him talking about asset inflation versus CPI measured inflation and things like that and how Bitcoin uh, is going to benefit from that. And I'm just, you know, I would actually be very interested in having him on here to talk to you about that and, and see kind of how, like how do you come to terms uh, with, you know, all of these scarce things appreciating. Absolutely. He'd be a great guest to have on here. I'm sure the listeners would enjoy that. So uh, let's try to line that up. If you want any other guests, please recommend them to us. Slide up in the DMs for uh, Ansel, myself, or Bitcoin Magazine. Let us know who you want to hear from. Let us know what topics you want to hear about. Uh, We love doing these shows where we give you little clips. So um, if you're listening to this, check it out on YouTube so you can get... You can see uh, Jerome Powell's beautiful face as well as mine and Ansel's. Make sure to give us those five-star reviews. Subscribe, share us everywhere on the interweb. You can follow me at CK underscore snarks. You can find Ansel at Ansel Lindner. And make sure to check out the Bitcoin Dictionary. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.